Welcome to Healing 101, the mini bite-sized episodes that are bursting full of information from leading experts and doctors who are here to help us understand difficult topics and teach us about the various ways we might be able to improve our mental health. The point of these episodes is to educate you about different mental health disorders and therapies that you may never have heard of before, because ultimately, the more people know, the more people we can help on their healing journeys. On today's Healing 101 episode, we are privileged to host Quinton Dealey, a highly respected consultant psychiatrist who specializes in autism, ADHD, learning disabilities, and a range of mental health conditions. With his extensive expertise, Quinton is a beacon of knowledge in the world of psychiatry. In this insightful conversation, Quinton delves into the enigmatic world of autism, addressing fundamental questions that provide a deeper understanding of this condition. He explores the causes of autism, shedding light on the intricate interplay between genetics and environmental factors. Quinton also shares his wisdom on the age of diagnosis and the unique presentation of autism in adults. He offers guidance on managing and treating autism, including the roles of therapy and medication. What is autism for listeners who don't know? It's a commonly occurring condition in the population as a whole. And the way we think about it is that it involves difficulties with reciprocal social interaction. That's back and forth interaction between people. Problems with communication, which can be typically non-verbal communication, eye contact, body posture, facial expression, as well as uh, vocal aspects of communication. So there can be an unusual or different tone of voice, for example, sometimes unusual choices of language as well. But along with these difficulties with social interaction and social communication, typically there are also restricted patterns of behaviour, interests and activities. So uh, very intense interests in particular topics, sometimes unusual topics, but very preoccupying, very intense. And typically also a discomfort with change, uh, a preference for routine and predictability. So unexpected change can be extremely stressful. Another feature of autism, which has been increasingly recognised in recent years, relate to sensory sensitivities or unusual patterns of responding to sensation. So that can be very heightened sensitivity to certain types of stimuli, whether it be sound or certain properties of visual information or touch. Uh, But sometimes it can also include reduced responsiveness to some types of sensation. And some people, for example, appear to have reduced uh, pain sensitivity. So it shares those broad characteristics in common, but it can vary a lot from person to person. My understanding is that often, I mean, for example, I have OCD, but I know that it's all on a spectrum and a continuum. And often autism can be, you you can have OCD and autism. It often shows up with comorbidities, but the communication side of things seems to be quite an integral part of a diagnosis for autism because when you do questionnaires that seems to be the ability to socialize and to gauge other people's emotions is something that gets picked up on time and time again would you agree that that is one of the sort of foundational parts of autism yes i would agree i mean if you even the very word autism itself it comes from the greek word autos 
relating to the self or meaning the self. And so the application of that term in the 1940s during the original description of autism, uh, I think indicates an attempt to capture somehow a different quality of social experience and the social self in the person with autism. So often one sees in people with autism a degree of seeming disconnection or misalignment with the social world around them, at least as it's commonly understood by most people, the majority of people. So I think the social, in, broad, in the broadest terms, the social difficulties and particular types of social difficulty are very characteristic of autism. They're really fundamental to the whole construct of autism, the whole concept of autism. And so you would agree and say that someone who has the ability to gauge people's emotions, who is quite social and who doesn't struggle with social connection, would be discounted from having autism? Yes, but with an important proviso, actually. So to go back to the point that autism is is an umbrella term, which encompasses a great deal of human variation, even though we can find similarities between people, enough similarities to justify using this construct of autism. There's a lot of variation. And uh, Lorna Wing, who was one of the pioneers of autism research in the late 1970s, she drew a distinction between different ways in which people with autism can present. And, And one of the terms that she used for a particular, what she really presented as a kind of subtype of autism was people whom she described as uh, active uh, but odd. And so what she, rather than somebody who is rather socially withdrawn or socially passive, there are people who can ostensibly seem to be very socially interested, but there's a qualitatively unusual aspect to the way that they interact with people. And as we have increasingly recognised the notion of of an autistic spectrum. And therefore, whenever you have a a so-called spectrum, um, it always implies that there's a range of variation in terms of not just the types of symptoms, but the severity of the symptoms of the way that they manifest. And then it often then raises the question, well, what are the boundaries of normality? When do we start to think of somebody as having a characteristic of a particular condition or disorder? And when does that shade off into normal variation? within the population. What you can certainly find with some people with autism with a very strong social interest is that in actual fact, their social understanding can be okay or good enough for most day-to-day interactions, but it may be other facets of the condition which are more prominent. Or alternatively, they may have good enough social cognition for most of the time, but under conditions of stress, they struggle more. And so the difficulties with social understanding become more evident and become more characteristically uh, autistic. The reason I'm saying that is people who can actually do quite well socially, for example, even function well in the entertainment industry or function well at work in other types of setting or be reliable and productive members of a family may nevertheless be on the autistic spectrum, but it may the condition may manifest itself in different ways. So focusing on treatment for autism, what are the usual 
prescribed treatments? Is medication an option and is psychotherapy an option? And if so, what types of psychotherapy tend to be most effective in helping people with autism? Well, if we're talking about adults, so actually both, in fact, with adults and children, there are no licensed treatments for any trait or symptom of autism in itself. So we don't have medications that are licensed for to try to change intrinsic features of autistic spectrum disorder. But what we do use medication for is for the treatment of coexisting mental health conditions, which, as I've said, have a greatly increased uh, prevalence in people on the autistic spectrum. In practice, what we do is if, for example, somebody with autism has depression or OCD, we would use the medications that are typically prescribed for those conditions, but in a very careful way. It's the approach which is common in neuropsychiatry of start low, go slow. So you introduce a medication at a very low dose, typically lower half or a quarter of the dose that you would normally introduce it in a member of the general population, and increase one medication at a time in small increments. And you check in with the patient before increasing the dose further to check that they're not experiencing unacceptable side effects, or indeed they're not deteriorating, or that there's some evidence that it's starting to produce a benefit. And then we move on to psychological treatments. And there are many psychological treatments that can be used for people with ASD, depending on the type of difficulties that the person has and the way that the ASD manifests itself in the person, the level of intelligence of the person, the verbal fluency or ability of the person, their ability to engage with a primarily verbal mode of treatment. What psychologists do, clinical psychologists do, is they will adapt and establish psychological therapy and individualize it to the person with autism, taking into account their particular characteristics. So general principles are that you have more sessions, it's a longer duration of treatment, often shorter sessions. There may be a longer period of time in so-called pre-therapy, just understanding the difficulties, assessing the person, establishing a rapport, supporting the person to describe the type of difficulties that they have. And that may use pictures, diagrams, imagery, analogies, metaphors that make sense to the person, but which may seem a bit unusual to somebody else, but they make sense to that particular person. So finding the language which helps them describe what's going on for them. So there's a lot of experience involved in this. But I mean, certainly from direct observation, from my own clinical experience, it's certainly the case that we see many, many people who clearly benefit, who are clearly better after periods of intervention and support using a variety of different interventions, psychological, pharmacological, occupational therapy, rehabilitative, and so on who are clearly better after treatment of coexisting mental health problems than before. And if it's left untreated autism, does it tend to get worse or does it stabilise at a certain point in your experience? Well, here, of course, we're constantly 
followed really by the issue of coexisting mental health problems because a really important determinant of the question of outcome is the presence or absence of a severe or debilitating mental health condition or more than one mental health conditions that may alter the person's trajectory through life. But if we're actually just talking perhaps more narrowly about autism per se, there is some evidence to suggest that as people get older, their ADOS scores, one of the instruments that we use to assess the number and type of autistic traits that a person exhibits, that they tend to improve with the passage of time. So you might say, well, is it the case that some people can, quote, grow out of autism? you know, uh, young people who are developing and growing up. And probably there will be some cases of people who, with the passage of time, get to a point where they become uh, less obviously on the autistic spectrum as they get older. This also actually gets into the complex topic of masking, of the idea that some people with considerable effort can appear to be better functioning socially, but with a great deal of concentration and effort and actually at quite high emotional cost to them. I often think here uh, of a quote from a play, I believe it's by Camus, which runs along the lines, never underestimate the effort involved in living an ordinary life. (laughs) I think there's a lot of truth in that. There's truth in that for everyone, of course. But there's particularly truth in that for people on the autistic spectrum, um, because just that, um, it, because that sort of 110 meter hurdle race of social life is that those hurdles are just that bit higher for them that they've got to get over to finish the race. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. I'm interested about diagnosis and like what, what is the average age that you tend to diagnose people at? Do people tend to be diagnosed as adults or I guess as awareness is increasing, the age of diagnosis might be getting younger? So one answer is that the diagnosis of autism in young people must be increasing actually as a consequence of a greater volume of diagnostic assessments occurring. But equally, As awareness of the condition increases, it also means that more adults are seeking diagnosis too. So what the commonest age for diagnosis is at the moment, I don't know. But I can certainly say that whatever that age is, is going to bounce around as a consequence of the enormous increase in people seeking diagnosis across the entire age spectrum. I'm curious as to whether it presents differently in men versus women. Do you find that there are trends that you can identify or is it just more random than that? Yeah, no, it's a good question, partly because the epidemiology shows the difference in the prevalence of ASD in men and women. So when you look at the 
learning disabled population, and particularly those with moderate severe learning disabilities, there doesn't appear to be a gender difference in the prevalence of ASD. But as essentially as you move into the normal intelligence range and as IQ increases, it seems that the disparity in prevalence increases. So overall, it appears to be four times, ASD is four times more common in males compared to females. There is some evidence just that if you compare the characteristics of females, women with a diagnosed with ASD compared to men with ASD, there are some differences that women with ASD tend to have better social communication than males with ASD. Another feature where women may differ compared to men is in terms of special interests. There's some evidence to suggest that the the pattern of special interests differs somewhat. It tends to be more social. The topics or themes tend to be more social in female as opposed to males. So, for example, some evidence suggests that, for example, women with ASD may have more interest in topics like soap operas or socially themed media, whereas in ASD it may tend towards more non-social topics like ornithology, train spotting, astronomy, and perhaps even more unusual topics as well. I mean, interest in people with ASD can be highly surprising and idiosyncratic. So when I say that, I'm cautious here because these sort of studies are always average, making averages from big groups of people where there's a lot of variation in those groups. And then you compare the means between the two groups and you say, well, these two means are significantly different and therefore there's a difference between the two groups. But we always have to bear in mind that there's huge variation in these groups and there'll be plenty of women with ASD with very intense interest in non-social topics and there'll be plenty of males with ASD with an interest in social topics, but very intense preoccupying interest in social topics. So these provisos always have to be held in mind for this kind of research. I'd love for you to leave us with three tips that you'd give for someone who suspects that they might have ASD and then for someone who's close to someone who has ASD and what they can do to help. Okay, so if you suspect you have an ASD, then you might well already have looked online up information about it. The National Autism Society is an excellent source of information about ASD in general and also gives practical tips about how to proceed if you suspect you have a diagnosis of ASD, how to go about acquiring a diagnosis. The other port of call, of course, would be your GP, because your GP would be the person who would be responsible for making a referral to an NHS service. If you have the resources, and not everybody does by any means, but if you do have the resources, and if there's a very long waiting list or if it's difficult to persuade a GP to make a referral to a local service, an alternative might be going through a private practitioner. And there'll be lots of advice on the internet about that. The National Autism Society actually also has a list of diagnosticians and diagnostic services that can be approached to help with that. I think from the point of view of a family member, this can be complicated actually, particularly if it's an adult with ASD. Because if you're a parent or if you're a sibling, it may be that the idea that your child 
or you know sibling has ASD, that may make a great deal of sense and be something that you want to pursue, but it may also produce a sense of anxiety or guilt or worry or concern that you've missed something important and that you haven't helped enough, you haven't been a good parent. It might also be the case that you just think that whatever the source of your child's difficulties are, it just doesn't seem to make sense that it could be due to an ASD. There might be other alternative explanations that seem more plausible or compelling. So it can be difficult. But I would say the main thing is really just to try to be understanding and supportive and try to listen. That's easy advice to give. It's not always easy to do in practice. I mean, everybody's relationships and circumstances are different. Ultimately, everybody is an individual. Everybody with an ASD or without an ASD is an individual and people need to be supported and understood as individuals. And so there's a great deal in that, actually, which is using the perspective that may come from a diagnosis of ASD or indeed some alternative diagnosis or indeed some improved understanding of the person to help the person. But actually, ultimately, they you know, will continue to be that, uh, whether they have a diagnosis or not, they'll continue to be that person that you know and have a relationship with. Quentin, thank you so much for your time and for just being so just generous with your knowledge, which seems boundless. And I feel very privileged to have had this conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258. 